open with me to Matthew chapter 26 this morning. Matthew chapter 26. And welcome to week eight of our Dangerous Prayers series where we are walking and diving into um, some biblical prayers that, as we've said, they're not easy to pray, they're not safe to pray, but they are absolutely good to pray. Some of the prayers we've covered already um, are, Lord, break me, um, or we began, I guess, Lord, search me, then break me, send me, use me, help me, lead me. Last week we looked at the prayer, God, mold me and make me. And just think about the picture of, of prayer and just the reality as the Bible brings it forth um, in prayer or through prayer. We are not fighting for our will to be done in heaven, but prayer is about us begging for God's will to be done on earth. So prayer isn't about us wanting our will done up there. Prayer is about us wanting His will done here. That is the desire, and that is our, our heart's desire. We're not trying to pers persuade God to do what we want. Prayer is a means of us finding out what God wants and then us doing it. And unfortunately, we spend, if, if we're going to be honest, and church is a good place to be honest, we spend a, a whole lot of our time praying, God, may your will be changed instead of, Lord, may your will be done. We spend a whole lot of time wanting God's will changed instead of wanting God's will done. Um, I, I think about just, just that picture. And this morning we come to the dangerous prayer, your will be done. And those are four dangerous words because they take our will, our wants, our desires out of the equation for the sake of God's will, his wants, and his desires. I know this topic, whether we know it or not, is relevant or for every single person in this room, for the, the question, what is God's will for my life, is probably one of the most commonly asked questions in our culture today, in Western Christianity. And I, I think one of the reasons that it's asked so much is because we have so many decisions to make every day, whether they be big decisions, whether they be small decisions. Um, we have decisions that we need to make that aren't necessarily found in the Bible, Things like, should I take this job? Should I move to this place? Who should I marry? What should I do here? Should I buy this or not buy that? We have so many different um, decisions that we have to make. And, of course, the bad news is that there are countless Christians who are confused and who are wondering, what is God's will for my life? That is the bad news. But the good news for us this morning is this. God's will is not lost. Therefore, we don't have to find it. So God's will is not lost. We don't have to, to find it. And hopefully this will free us up from the very beginning this morning. God is not a universal Easter bunny who hides his will all over the world and allows us to go or makes us go find it. And God is up in heaven going, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Sorry, you missed it. You're cold. That is not the picture that we see in the word of God. In fact, what if God's will is not some secret that we need to uncover somewhere? What if God makes his will very clear to us? And what if God is actually more passionate about um, us knowing his will than we are about knowing his will? In fact, I think if you want to know what God wants you to do, the first question you need to ask is not, God, what is your will for my life? I think the first question we must ask is, God, am I willing to do it? 
God, am I willing to do whatever you tell me? Because let me just make it very clear. There's no sense in even praying for God's will to be done if you're not willing to do it. It's not, God, I'm going to pray it, and Lord, if you tell me what I want to hear, then I'll do it. And if you don't tell me what I want to hear, then I'm not going to do it. And guess what? God's not going to answer anyway. And so we have to understand this reality. There's no sense in asking God to reveal his will to us if we're not willing to do it. And the breakthrough this morning is going to come and, and when we understand this. Knowing God's will is secondary to actually knowing God. Knowing God's will is secondary to knowing God. Knowing God is primary, and that is the goal of our lives. I think of George Mueller. You've heard his name before many times. He was probably one of the greatest men of, of prayer and faith that the church has ever known. In his lifetime, he recorded over 50,000 answered prayers, 30,000 of which were answered the same day he prayed them. Let that sink in for a second. 50,000 answered prayer, 30,000 the same day he prayed them. And of course, that leads us to say, well, what was his secret? So that we can grab a hold of that. And I think the secret that we have to understand is he knew how to determine God's will. Meaning, he spent every morning in the word of God. And he did not ask God for anything unless he had a promise from God's word to back it up. So when it came to the will of God, he, he grabbed a hold of the word of God and he knew the word of God. And just, just listen to what he says concerning God's will. He says, I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Let me say that again. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has, it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever that may be. Having done this, I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. The Spirit and the Word must be combined. If I look to the Spirit alone without the Word, I lay myself open to great delusion. For the Spirit's leading will always be according to the Scriptures and never contrary to to them and that is our goal this morning as the people of God we want to get our hearts into such a state where our hearts have no will of their own where we abandon our will we abandon our wants and we begin to want what he wants and then we seek God through his word desiring what he wants for us so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 36. These are very familiar verses to us, but I, I want us just to think about them. I pray in a new light this morning when we think about the prayer of Christ for the will of God. And beginning at verse 36, it says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called, called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we do so, God. Ultimately, Lord, we want you. We desire you. And Lord, as we desire you, as we want you, as we go to you in your word, as we, Lord, listen for your declarations, and Lord, as we submit ourselves to your spirit, we know, God, that your will will be done. And that is what we desire. But help us this morning to keep the ultimate thing ultimate. Lord, just pray today, God, that you would speak to, to hearts and lives across this room. God, show us, Lord, what our greatest need is and show us at the same time, God, how we can follow you in, in greater ways, Lord, to make you known. Lord, just speak today for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be Seated. So when we think about this picture of God's perfect will or this picture of God's will being done, here's what we have to understand. And I think it's a kind of an understatement is that God's will is everything, but not everything is God's will. So God's will is everything for us as children of God, but not everything is going to be God's will. We have to learn to determine what is God's will for our lives and what is not. And I pray that um, our time together today will be um, a time of encouragement. I pray that it will give us some clarity concerning God's will. But I also um, am under the, the knowledge and understanding that if we leave here confused a little bit about God's will, it's probably a good thing too. Because we're talking about the will of an almighty, all-powerful, holy, glorious God, not the will of us. If we were talking about our will, um, then, yeah, we could get our heads around that. We're talking about the will of God. Therefore, we should probably leave here today going, wow. <laughs> this is amazing when we think about who it is that we are able to know and able to experience and able to do his will. So the, the goal this morning, again, is for us to get our, our hearts out of the way, no will of our own, to go to the word of, of God in that. So we are going to, in our time together, dive into the three um, truths that concern the majesty and the mystery of all that is God's will. And some of this might be a little confusing, but just hang on. So the, the first truth is this. We must understand the multiplicity of God's will. We must understand the multiplicity of God's will. And so here's what we know. God's word is deeply concerned with God's will. When we think about that, when we speak of God's will, though, when we think about and read about God's will in the Bible, we must understand that the Bible speaks of God's will in at least two different ways. Some have kind of teased it out to three and four, but we're just going to kind of focus on two different ways that the Bible kind of speaks of God's will. The first, we have what's called the sovereign will of God. So God's sovereign will. If the Bible teaches us anything, the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign. Meaning that God is king. He is Lord. Nothing happens outside of his knowledge or outside of his will. And when we talk about God's sovereign will, what we mean is God's sovereign will is the will by which God brings to pass whatever he wants. 
Think about Psalm 135.6. You can see it on the screen. It says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. It took me a long time to realize that verse doesn't read whatever I please, God does. Whatever he pleases, he does. God does not do all that he can do, but God will accomplish all that he sovereignly wills to do. God will accomplish, meaning that God, God's sovereign will are his purposes for the world that cannot be frustrated, that will happen, yet they're not always going to be revealed to us. We're not always going to know what God is doing in the world. I think of Deuteronomy 29, 29 that says the secret things belong to God. Then it says the things that are revealed belong to us. So there are things concerning God that God says to us, that's none of your business. You just trust me. That's none of your business. You just trust me. But thankfully, there are parts of God's sovereign will that he has revealed to us. So think about this. Think about God's sovereign will in creation. When God commanded the light to shine, God didn't have to, um, to say, please... God didn't have to say, come on, I've asked you once. I'm not going to ask you again. Please come out, light. When God commanded light to shine, guess what it did? It, it came on. It shined. This is the picture of God's sovereign power on display. God did not persuade the light to shine. God did not have to negotiate with the elemental powers of the universe because he created them and he controls them. Just think about that. Last night we were driving home from, uh, from Baldwin, and um, we were in the Missy's van. I'm driving, and Mom was in the, the back seat with Malachi, and she starts pointing out all the beautiful clouds. It's, the sun is about to set, and um, she's saying, look at the clouds, Malachi. God made all of those. And, of course, Malachi said, how? And Mom said, God's hand put all of those clouds in the sky. And Malachi said, so God's got a bunch of hands? And mom's like, no, he's only got two hands, but they're big hands. So God's a giant. And of course, you know, having to have deep theological conversations with kids, you never know what's going to happen. You just hope and pray, God, give me the right words. And I think when all, this, when all was said and done, Jesus was a giant and um, he was doing all of this. But the picture is God is sovereign in creation. But then think about the other way God's sovereign will is revealed. God is sovereign in the cross. Think about God's will at the cross. God did not achieve a plan of saving us by trial and error. The cross was his plan from the very beginning. The cross was not a cosmic accident. Jesus did not end up at the cross going, how did this happen? And God up in heaven going, how am I going to work this for good? No, it, the cross was always the plan of God. These things were decreed by God absolutely from the beginning. Here's what I want us to understand today, that there is a God who is completely sovereign over us, whose will is greater than our will, whose will restricts our will. When it comes to God's sovereign will, our will will never get in the way of his will. Um, we will be like a speed bump, and he will go right over the top of us for the sake of his will. God is sovereign. We are subordinate. Therefore, we need to stand in amazement at the sovereign will of God, what God has decreed in the world. I think about the, the missionary Hudson Taylor who said, make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign and has the right to do as he pleases with his own. And he may not explain to you a thousand things which may puzzle your reason in his dealings with you. 
God is sovereign. Just think about what we just read in Matthew 26. Jesus is crying out to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. What does that mean? What does it mean when Jesus says to his Father, your will be done? And what it means is that God desired, or Jesus desired, God's sovereign plan to be accomplished. And Jesus knew it was going to be. Jesus was going to die. Yet in his human nature, Jesus was saying, I really don't want to have to experience nails in my hands or feet. I really don't want to have to experience being cut off from fellowship with my Father. So God, if you can make that happen where that doesn't have to happen, then so be it. But then Jesus says, but may your will be done. Meaning, Father, you have a plan. May you do it. Regardless of what that means for me. So this is God's sovereign plan, his sovereign will that he is going to execute. But then the second part of the will of God is revealed in the word of God is we have the sovereign will. And then the second is what's called the spoken or the revealed will of God. So the spoken will of God, the revealed will of God, which is that which God has chosen to reveal um, through his word. So the spoken will of God, the revealed will of God is what we have through God's word. And unlike God's sovereign will, this will, when we think about God's word, this will can be broken. We cannot break God's sovereign will, but we can break, disobey God's spoken will. This is God's rule of righteousness in our lives. And just think about this. What does God will for us? What has God made known to us? And here's what we know. It is God's will that we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we have no other gods before him. It is God's will that we love our neighbor as ourselves. It is God's will that we refrain from things such as stealing and lying and coveting and from adultery and idolatry and from distrusting God in our lives. Yet it is in those areas that we oftentimes violate the will of God. That we oftentimes know what God would have us to do, but yet we don't love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We put other things um, in front of him, even the, the will of God. Meaning, I think one of the tragedies of the Christian life is that we are sometimes so preoccupied with wanting to know the sovereign will of God at the exclusion of God's spoken will. Meaning we want God to let us look behind the curtain. We want God to give us our horoscope for the day so we know what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the next week. But what we don't do is we don't value personal obedience. We want our personal horoscope, but what we don't want to do is obey God and trust him until God reveals to us um, those things that he has for us. Let me just give you a nugget of truth this morning. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Obey God's word and his will will find you. If you want God's will, obey his word, and his will will find you. That is the amazing truth. We, you know, I talk to people all the time that say, well, God's word is confusing. I just stay away from it because it's so confusing. And what I always tell them is this. I bet it's not all confusing. I bet there's things that you know very clearly what it says. Well, how about you do this? Obey what you know. And let everything else work itself out. Let, let's not let Satan give us a, a stumbling block and to keep us away because we say, well, I just don't know this. Let's begin by obeying what we do know. 
And as we obey what we do know, it's going to be amazing how God's will will find us. Therefore, we, we want to trust and we want to submit ourselves to the sovereign will of God while at the same time acting in obedience to what God has declared and spoken and revealed in his word. So we must um, think about that picture. We, we must understand the multiplicity of God's will. But then the second truth is this. We must resist idolatry concerning God's will. 1 Corinthians 10.14 says flee from idolatry. I know this sounds very weird that I would connect or try to connect God's will and idolatry together. But here's what I do know. There are times when the will of God can become an idol that we as his children seek after apart from him. Meaning we would rather know his will than to know him. We would rather know what our life is going to look like in 10 years from now than we would rather know him. And oftentimes we... We have this desire. Even it fuels us to even come and worship God while at the same time we don't see the worth of God. You know, the idol, when you think about an idol, an idol is anything, and let me just throw this out here, an idol is anything that we see as a means to an end. So an idol is anything that we see as a means to an end. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is kind of painting this ugly picture about God giving man over to a debased mind. And one of the reasons Paul says that God has done that is because he says this in Romans 1.25, because they, meaning us, humanity, have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. So Paul tells us that the reason that we have the problems we have is because we have chosen to worship the creature rather than the creator. But you know where we begin in, in creation of worshiping creation? We don't begin by worshiping the sun. We don't begin by worshiping the oceans. We don't begin by worshiping the mountains. We don't begin by worshiping all of these things. We begin by worshiping ourselves. So the picture of creation that we begin by worshiping is we worship ourselves first. And so when we think about God's will and idolatry, it begins to center around us, my life. I want God's will for my life. I want God's will for me. I want my happiness. I want my future. I want this. I want that. And before we know it, it has become an idol that we desire above God himself. Just think about this. The ancients would worship a fertility goddess in order um, to be fertile. They would make sacrifices to the God of war in order to win the battle. They would try to please God, uh, the God of the seas, in order to um, ensure a safe voyage. But the picture is this. The God of this word cannot be worshipped as a, as a means to an end. The God of this word, he is the end. He is the treasure. He is what we are pursuing. God is not just the giver of gifts. God is the gift. He is the gift himself. And so the point in our lives, if we're only seeking what God can give us, meaning if we're only seeking some personalized will for our lives from God, then we might not understand the God of the Bible. For what the Bible makes very clear to us is that everything that is not of God oftentimes raises itself up against God, even in our lives. And that can even happen in this area where God's will can become an idol that we want above God himself. 
We should never forget that God is the gift. God is the end. God is the treasure. There is no good apart from him. And again, I know that there are people all across this room this morning that you're here and you are facing some pretty major decisions right now. And you're wondering what you are going to do. And I want to real quick pause for just a second. And I want to kind of make known some contemporary, some harmful, maybe some even idolatrous, um, whether it be methods that we use or, or thoughts that we use to determine God's will. Maybe even some superstitions that we use to determine God's will in our lives. The first is what we have, what's called the pick your promise method, where maybe we don't read the Bible a whole lot. We keep it closed. But when we get ourselves into trouble, we go, God, I want a promise from you. So we pick up the Bible out of the blue and we do this. We go, God, I need a promise. So we open our Bibles and we put our finger right on a verse and we say, and they went and woke him up. Okay, well, that doesn't apply to me, so we do it again. And so we open the Bible, we put our finger down, and we go, for my soul is full of troubles. Well, that, that's kind of where I'm at, but I need something else. So we, we do it again, and we say, well, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. Well, that doesn't apply to me. And so we move on to something else, and we keep doing it until we get our word that applies to us. And we go, I can't believe that works. That is great. And the problem with that method is what we call context that we are so quick to take verses um, out of context. A few weeks ago, we um, unpacked um, the, this picture of, of, of Jesus, all the promises, finding their yes in him. And what that means is this, that Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise of God. That doesn't mean that every promise that God has ever made um, applies to us. You, you can't go in the Bible and grab the promises that God made to Abraham being a great nation and say, well, God's going to make me a great nation. Or the promises that God made to David to be a, a, a king and a kingdom and say, well, that's going to be me. No, we're living inside those promises. We're living inside the promises that God made to Abraham and that God made to David. But we've got to make sure that we understand the context of the promises that God um, is, is making. Then the, the other methods that we use is the astonishing miracle method. God, would you please write your... Um, your will for me in the sky, would you please audibly speak to me? God, I need a burning bush um, experience. And we have those um, where we just want a, an astonishing miracle from God to show us his will. Now, here's the problem with this. How many of you have ever seen and encountered a burning but non-burning bush and heard the voice of God from that? Okay, so the issue is what we need to see is that apparently that, that doesn't happen much. Um, so we got to be careful about seeking that which is miraculous. And I'm going to tell you kind of um, kind of go with the next method and kind of put them both together. The next method that sometimes we use is the cast your fleece method. That's the biblical one, right? Because that's what Gideon did. He um, came to God and asked for a sign about the fleece being filled with dew and not being filled with dew. And it seems like God answered him. So let's use that one. The problem with that, of course, is that not every story we read in Scripture is supposed to be imitated by us. And secondly, the whole point of Gideon's fleece was to show that even though God had spoken and given his word, Gideon doubted, and God doesn't like doubt. So the whole point with that uh, is that Gideon lacked faith in what God has already promised. So the point is this. If God has already said something in his word, God is under no obligation to write it in the skies. God is... 
you know, sometimes we go, God, can you just show me what you would have me to do? And God's saying, I already have, open your Bible. And we go, well, I'd rather not, I don't have enough time. Facebook, TV, but God, I don't have enough time to do that. I don't have enough time to do this. I, I heard a theologian one time say that some of us have enough dust in our Bible to write the word condemned. We need to be very, very careful um, when it comes to that. The other uh, method that sometimes we use is called the stand in the door method, that we stand in doorways and we wait for God to open or close the doors. And when God opens the doors, we walk through them and go, this is God's will. Now, here's the problem with that. According to 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul says this, A wide and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries there. So the door opens. So think about this. The door opens. We walk through it. And all of a sudden, a rock gets hurled at our faces. And all of a sudden, there's a mob around us wanting to kill us. Now, what would we immediately think? I know what we would think. We would step right back to the door and go, that wasn't God's will. <laughs> There's no way that was God's will. We shut the door just as quick as we, we can. But here's the problem. Just because things are easy does not mean it's God's will. And just because things are hard doesn't mean it's not. Paul says a great and effective door has been opened before me. And there are many adversaries there. There are many people standing against the work of God there. But that is God's will, therefore that's where I will go. I think when we look at these methods, what we need to realize is that we need something better than doors or fleeces. We need something better than looking to the sky for God to write it in. What we need to see is all of these methods are shortcuts to knowing God. They're shortcuts to seeking God. They don't require discipline. They don't require work. What if God has designed his will in such a way that when we seek him and as we know him and as we abide in him, he shapes us and through that process of shaping us, he enables us to know and do his will. What if that's how God designed it? And I'm here this morning to tell you that's how God designed it. He designed it for us to seek him above seeking his will. For us to love him above loving ourselves. And as we love him and seek him and abide in him and, and live in him, he works out his will in us and through us. Which leads us to the third truth, which is this. We must pray for conformity to God's will. That's the whole point of today's message. We're praying for conformity to God's will. And just think about this. Not only did Jesus model this type of praying for us in the garden where Jesus says, your will be done. Jesus taught this kind of praying to us. In Matthew 6, Jesus told the disciples, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and then what? Your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it's being done in heaven heaven and it makes me think about would Jesus tell us to pray for something that it would be impossible for us to know would Jesus say pray for God's will to be done if it was impossible for God's will to be done in us and through us and this is where we need to be reminded again that God's word contains God's will you will never find God's will for your life and you will never 
um, have your passions for God um, flamed and, and, and the fires stoked by keeping your Bibles closed. Here's what I want us to see this morning. God doesn't purposefully frustrate us. God doesn't say, I, I want to keep God's will from you, from you and see how hard you'll work from it. No, God is in the business of revealing himself to us. Think about what Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So would God, through his word, tell us to understand what his will is if we couldn't understand what his will is? No, God wouldn't do that. So the fact that God tells us to understand his will shows us that, guess what? We can know and understand his will. Yet, what is his will? I think in a a very real sense, when you and I pray those four words, your will be done, it is nothing less than God-ordained rebellion against the things of this world. We are rebelling against the world's fallenness. We are rebelling against accepting um, as normal what the Bible has declared to be abnormal. We are rebelling against the schemes and the works and the lies of the enemy. We are rebelling against everything that Satan desires to do um, in our lives or in this world. So when we pray, God, your will be done, we are praying in rebellion against the evil of this world. And we are praying in submission to the holy God of the universe. And here's what we know at the most basic The will of God is that we repent of our sins and that we turn to Jesus Christ and trust him as Savior and Lord. At its basic, that is the will of God. If we have not taken that first step, then we have not yet accepted God's will. In fact, you can write this down. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. So if God is not willing that any should perish, then what does God will? He wills that all should be saved. That is the will of God. That is why God sent His Son. If anyone is looking for the will of God apart from salvation in Christ, they have no biblical basis for looking for it. The only way we will ever know the will of God is through salvation in Christ. But then there are other verses that show us what God's will is. I'm not going to tell you all of them, but um, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, meaning that we are becoming more and more like Christ. That's God's will for the saved is that we become more and more like Jesus. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we read this one. We need to hear this one. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God. Whoo! It's the will of God that you and I are thankful in every circumstance. In every situation, that is God's will for us. Even according to 1 Peter 3.17, sometimes it's God's will that we suffer. This is at the heart of Jesus' prayer here in Matthew 26. Jesus was, in essence, in this moment, struggling with the will of God. And just think about this. If Jesus... The Son of God struggled with the will of God. Should we be surprised when we do the same? I mean, sometimes we're going to struggle with God's will. Thankfully, we have an example that Jesus himself struggled with God's will. It was difficult for Jesus to pray those four words, your will be done. Therefore, we shouldn't always assume it's going to be easy for us. It's not always easy to say, God, your will be done. 
It's not always easy to say, God, everything that I'm holding on to is slipping away, but your will be done. God, I prayed for this and prayed for this and prayed for this, and it seems like it's not going to happen, but your will be done. Those aren't easy words to proclaim. They're not easy words to mean. But when we know Him, when we know Him and understand Him in that way, we're able to. Think about this. When it comes to suffering, God had one son without sin, but God never had a son without suffering. We will suffer. We will walk through difficulty. So think about this. Let me end this way. So what about the decision that you still have to make? Some of you are thinking, Mike, I appreciate the message, but your message has done nothing to help me. It's done nothing to help me make the decision that I have to make tomorrow or, or, or next week. Let me just say this. If you're struggling with God's will, if you are saved, if you are sanctified, meaning if you are becoming more and more in the image of Christ, if you are walking in thankfulness, and if you are willing to accept suffering, then let me just say this then do whatever you please. It was St. Augustine who said this, love God and live as you please. For he knew this, if you truly love God, you won't live to please yourself. If you love God, you will live to please him. So therefore, love God and live as you please, for our pleasure will be him. Our desire will be him. Our hope will be him. Our strength will be him and him alone. So on a personal level, brothers and sisters, when we pray, your will be done, we are saying, Father in heaven, my life is yours. Cause your name to be glorified in my life and cause your name to be glorified through my life. I trust, God, that you are taking every struggle, every trial in my life, every difficulty, every pain and anxiety, every sorrow, every sickness, every death. I trust that you are taking that and you are working it all together for good. You're doing it in my life, God, and you're doing it through my life. Let me just end here today. When all is said and done, do you know God enough? Do you trust God enough? Do you believe God enough to pray from the depths of your heart, your will be done? Do you know him and trust him and believe him enough to say your will be done, O oh God? C.S. Lewis said this, there are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. Meaning there are two types of people, either those who say to God, my will be done, or those who say to God, your will be done. Which are you today? Are you a person who prays continually, God, my will be done, my wants be done, my desires be done? I can tell you, if that's you, you're going to be a special kind of frustrated today. Or are you saying, God, your will be done? don't understand it all, God, but I trust you. For when all is said and done, the will of God is as trustworthy as the character of God. You can trust him and you can trust it. And the ultimate concern of God, so just let me end here. The ultimate concern of God is not to get us from point A to point B along the quickest, easiest, and smoothest um, route as possible. That's not God's plan. The ultimate concern of God is for us to know him deeply and trust him completely. 
Oh, that that would be said in our lives. And oh, that we would trust him, believe him, love him enough to say, God, your will be done. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And we're going to call the musicians down as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever the Lord is telling us that we would do it in this moment. But let's pray. Father, Lord, we do come before you now. And God, our prayer, our desire is that your will be done not our will be done. God, our will is a sinful will. It is not an all-knowing will. It is not an all-powerful will. God, yours is. Therefore, we want that, God. We want your holy will. We want your all-powerful, all-knowing will to be done in our lives. God, we trust you and your sovereign will, things that we don't understand or don't know. We trust. And Lord, we want to obey you in your spoken will. God, what you have said in your word, we want to obey. Not so that we can earn anything, God. For Jesus, you've already earned our salvation for us. But because we love you and because we trust you. God, I pray for anyone in this room or that will be in this room today that doesn't know you, that today will be a day that they jump into your will through salvation. I pray, Father, for all of us today that we would grow deeper in our sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, that you would help us to be more thankful in every circumstance, in every difficulty, to give thanks because that is your will for us. And that you would help us, Lord, even in suffering, to walk through it for the sake of your will, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of your name. God, help us as your children today to pray those four words, God, like never before. Your will be done. Whatever that means in our lives, whatever that means in this, your church, your will be done done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.